Welcome, everyone, to the Boondoggles, Blind Squirrels, and Broken Clocks podcast, part of the Sports Pros Network, where we're always talking sports, so let's start the conversation. I'm your host, Keith Needham, and I'm joined again, as always, by my good friend and the gambling guru himself, Mr. Chad Ford. Chad, it's a cold, cold afternoon here in Oklahoma, bud, but how you doing? Dude, it is cold as hell, but I'm doing good. We're going to talk about some fire topics, uh, probably get out some fire picks to you guys as well. Absolutely, brother. And speaking of, of, of being on fire, my friend, I mean, we're going to get into it, but, uh, you know, I knew, I said it last week on the pod, Chad, it's a fool's errand to go against you in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the Vegas books in the Super Bowl, and I'll be damned if you didn't do it again, my friend. But uh, uh, we're going to get into all kinds of Super Bowl recaps. We've got streaker prop bets. We've got crazy halftime shows. Uh, all that and much, much more on this episode. But as always, my friend, before we dive into the hot pod talk, we've got to show some love to our favorite sports bar, and of course, that is Chalk Sports Bar. Now, everybody knows about Chalk, right? Chisholm Creek Plaza, 1324 West Memorial Road. You know, you can keep up with Chad, Ben, and the entire Chalk team on the web at chalkokc.com or follow them on Twitter and Instagram at chalkokc. But yet we, we've got under the Sports Pros Network and in conjunction with our, our man Jay Teal over on the YSO podcast, we've got a fantastic giveaway right now. It's probably going to be tough to, to get into that giveaway this week given the weather here in Oklahoma, but we've got our Eat More Chalk play more golf contest going on, right? So you, you go play golf, you drop off your scorecard, right? YSO sports pros network, something to let your server at chalk know that you're a friend of the pod. You'll get half off your sandwich or burger. And then we're going to put you into a drawing for a table for four on master Sunday in 200 bucks towards your tab. So that's a pretty good deal, right? Chad? Absolutely. It is. I mean, we're, Master Sunday, you're talking about, you know, the big names are going to be up there. You know, you got DJ, you got Tiger, um, you got Justin Thomas and things like that. And what better to watch it than on an on an 80-foot big screen uh, with three of your favorite buddies and watching it for free for 200 bucks? Yeah, 200 bucks. you know, that, that'll, that'll get you some good grub, and that'll probably go towards, uh, uh, you know, you, you get some beverages out of that too, if I had to guess, oh, my yeah. friend. So, yeah, you'll get something. Yeah, absolutely. We're looking forward to that. And looking forward to it. we got some other things kind of coming up here in the works we'll talk about later this month. But we got the big NCAA uh, men's basketball tournament in March, right? we got the Masters in April. Uh, we got some things coming up in May. So we're, we're pumped, man. We've got a full slate, and we'll be uh, informing our listeners of that as we kind of uh, get closer and closer to those dates, man. But I- I'm looking forward to it. But looking forward to getting up there and spending more time with you at Chalk, my friend. Oh, it'll be a blast, man. I am as well. Well, brother, let's get into it. Super Bowl 55 recap. Tom Brady does it yet again. Uh, now, I-, I think, you know, no surprise that-, that Tom Brady ends up getting his, I think it was his fifth MVP, right? So seven Super Bowl yes. victories, his fifth Super Bowl MVP. He was the second favorite behind Patrick Mahomes, I think plus 150, plus 175 in that range. But, you know, Chad, from my perspective, the real MVP was that front four in the pass rush of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, my friend. That was a defensive a master class on Sunday night, wasn't yeah. it? Well, and you kind of had to think that the Chiefs had to know something was coming. Um, not necessarily with, you know, when you're watching tape, and, and let's be honest, us as casual fans and the media and all that good stuff, like we're watching intently, but the media is fixated on on other things. They're fixated on the shiny wheels of the on the Lamborghini, right? They're fixated on Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes and Marco Hardiman and Travis Kelsey and all that good stuff to where the engine that makes things go, which it's always been correct in the NFL is those front four up stop uh, up front. And if you can contain the run pressure, the quarterback, and you can run the ball yourselves on the offense, you're going to be fine. And I mean, 
golly, Tampa Bay just shut them down. And, you know, let's be honest, the Chiefs didn't really have any hope on the running game. Kind of to start out with, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had been a little banged up coming into it. And then all of a sudden you're talking about Daryl Williams. And, you know, let's be honest, like you've got uh, LaShawn McCoy, excuse me, not LaShawn McCoy, but Le'Veon Bell back there and you're not even playing him. I'm not even sure if he was a healthy scratch for the game or if he was there. But, I mean, it just goes to show you how much his skills have deteriorated or how well uh, the Steelers used him. Um, up front, uh, you know, back in his day. But I mean, right. it, it's just, it's, it's a fall from grace for that guy. Uh, so to speak, wanting out of the Steelers, but uh, I guess they both went to the Super Bowl. him and o- Antonio Brown. So I guess it's better than what the Steelers were doing. It's true. In the off season. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. But yeah, I mean, those, the, the front four, I mean, that's a mean, nasty bunch. You're talking about, you know, Sue and Shaq Barrett and Vita Via. Uh, ended up making a little bit of comeback, and he was in there. Um, I mean, it's just a nasty, nasty thing. And I think that front four in the playoffs is always going to keep you in. Yeah, um, and rem- get, it, yeah, reminiscent of that New York Giants squad that kind yeah. of beat Tom Brady and the Patriots, right? They had that undefeated season, yep. you know, that big run, which I, I think if I hearken back to 10, 12 years ago, Chad, I think you were on the Giants on that one too. So you got yep. that one right. And they were <laughs> able to just get constant pressure with only rushing four, dropping seven back into coverage. And he had nowhere to throw it. He had nowhere to he throw it. He had nowhere to throw it, and he had nowhere to go. And, and let's be honest, like the Chiefs kept lining up. Like, I mean, with that front four, you probably need to run like you're almost goal line uh, to protect them if you are, but then you don't have any, any weapons on the outside. It'll be interesting to see how uh, people attack the Chiefs next year because, I mean, the, the, the conventional wisdom coming into this thing was Mahomes was such an escape artist that if you pressured him or blitzed him, he was going to burn you, especially with the speed on the outside. They were going to do that, you know, quick, uh, you know, one, two, three second throw type stuff. And it didn't look like they did anything like that. I mean, Mahomes was back there the whole time, just, you know, sitting and surveying the field, almost looking for the home run ball each time. And it's like, man, you guys got to start getting the ball out of your hands. Yeah, you you could tell that, you know, obviously Mahomes, the, the, we knew going into the game he had the turf toe issue, and obviously after the game on Monday, the news reports came out that he was going to have surgery on that. But, you know, he was moving around, and I'm sure he was in pain, right? It was probably a pain yeah. tolerance thing with that turf toe. But, you know, the first first couple drives that the Chiefs had, you know, the first downs that they were picking up were Mahomes, you know, breaking out of the pocket, you know, everything kind of breaking down and him rushing for a first down. And, uh, and, and you kind of that was really kind of a foreshadowing of things to come because, man, they were just all over him. Uh, from that point forward throughout the game. But, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, the, the, the fact that, that he didn't really have anywhere to go. And I will say the return of Vita Vea up front for the Bucks. you know, he missed, you know, parts of the season through injury, and he kind of came back whenever the Bucks really started making that run in late November, early December throughout the playoffs. I mean, that guy... I don't know that that he gets the credit that is due to him with regards to him being able to to kind of plug up the run, allowing a guy like Sue, you know, from maybe a, a three tech or five technique, you know, being a little bit more active from a pass rush standpoint. And then you throw Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre Paul out on the corners from a rush in standpoint. I mean, that turned into a dominant defensive line down the stretch, Chad. Yeah, it it absolutely did. And everything that you hear from the inside and obviously like for us defensive players, the big names that come to mind are your Aaron Donald, you know, your Jalen Ramsey, both with the Rams, uh, so to speak, but uh, you know, JJ Watt, TJ Watt, stuff like that. But 
from what we're hearing, you know, on, on all these media reports and everything that Vita Vea with the players, like in the players' eyes, that guy's like Michael Jordan on the inside of the line. It's just he gets lost in the shuffle because it's an 11-man football game. But at the end of the day, like, they talk about this guy like he is absolutely unstoppable. Um, you're basically having to put your best guy on him or your two mediocre guys trying to stop and, and headway. And then, like you said, you've got to deal with now Namigan Sue, Jason Pierre-Paul, Shaq Barrett. Uh, you got to deal with Devin White coming on a blitz every once in a while. And, it, uh, man, I just can't imagine how how hard that would be, especially when you talk about the Chiefs, like, their their line was already banged up as it was. They lost one of their starting linemen uh, who chose to go be a doctor yeah. during this COVID crisis, which, hey, God bless the guy, great guy, and all that. But you could tell the Chiefs hurt. And then not having Eric Fisher and then probably signing some practice guys that hadn't seen some playing time in a while just to have healthy subs in there every once in a while. And let's be honest, you know, football is a game of inches and it's a game of snaps to where there might be three or four snaps in there that, are backup guys, right? Third down linemen or whatever the case. And those those particular snaps could change the outcome of the game, at least the outcome of a drive, if not a couple drives. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you mentioned about that reshuffling of the offensive line. You know, I think I think maybe Romo referred to it on the broadcast that you know it essentially had had an impact on three different positions, right? Because they'd had to take the right tackle over, slide him over to left tackle, you know, move one of the guards out to right tackle, and then you know, kind of bring in a backup guard from there. And and you know, certainly a guy like me that had the Chiefs in the over, right, on the bet standpoint, I yeah. I didn't do a good enough job of factoring in the impact that that was going to have. And you know, I'm I'm a stat nerd chad you know this i'm kind of a math yeah. geek and so it's always fun to see the numbers kind of back up the visual you know kind of kind of back up the the, the feeling that you get watching the game but i saw some stats and uh, bill barnwell over at espn does a great job of kind yeah. of you know, doing these stats and these kind of behind the scenes or in-depth breakdowns but the chiefs only had five guys stay in the box so essentially you know the opposite of max protect right so you get your five yeah. offensive linemen the other five guys go out in the route they did that 92 percent of the time chad and the God. bucks they only rushed four, or only blitzed, I should say, nine percent of the time. So they were they were rushing four ninety one percent of the time to almost match the five in protect of the Chiefs ninety two percent of the time. And those four guys whipped those five guys on the Chiefs. That and that was that was the story oh, of the game. All over the field. Yep. Yeah. All over the field. I mean, you talk about a team, uh, you know, how dominant of a performance, and we've all heard it, right? Like it's. The Chiefs, you know, Pat Mahomes had never lost by, you know, more than one score in his career. Um, you know, they had never not scored, scored more than two touchdowns with him and whatnot. Well, they didn't score a touchdown That's here. That's crazy, which I think like, yeah, I mean, before the I game – yeah, I think you I could get. Did they get in the red zone? I, they got. All? They got in the red zone once or twice. I, I know that. Uh, but yeah, the three field goals is all they had. And I want to say before kickoff, Chad, the Chiefs to not score a touchdown was something like eighteen or twenty to one. Like you could get some Jeez. crazy. And honestly, yeah. I would feel like those odds should have been greater on that. So well, the Chiefs are going to score like a touchdown, to right? One. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So absolutely insane. And I saw that there were some big bets that actually kind of cashed in on that. I mean, you get the ballsy yeah. there. Uh, now I, I will say, Chad, what saved me. And we'll get into it here because, you know, kind of a you know, good transition into Vegas had a great weekend because obviously yep. uh, most of the public money was coming in on the Chiefs. I think it was a 56-44 split uh, last time I saw it. But more than $136 million was bet on Super Bowl 55 with the Nevada Sportsbooks. 
in the state books out in Nevada took home a net roughly $13 million, uh, on the handle there, which is, a, which is a pretty good day, Chad. If you can get $13 yeah. million in one day is good. You were obviously on the right side of that as well. And, 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 you know, again, you, you're, you're, you always got to lock in on the Super Bowl. But I, I'll tell you, you know, I, the one thing that saved my ass, Chad, is that I had the Bucks to score 31 points. I, I picked a, you know, <laughs> you play, placed right a couple butts, placed a couple bets to kind of hedge with regards to kind of the exact score line. And I got that, I think, at 16 to 1. And that saved that me, awesome yeah, bit. saved me from being a, a complete total failure. And, and then I had Travis Kelsey on the uh, prop bet on over uh, for yards and catches there. So he saved me in, you know, garbage time numbers really is what saved me. So that was the only thing to keep it from being a, a, a total disaster for me Sunday night. But I know, I know you did well. I, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of, you know, uh, puff out that chest, bud, because you've earned it, my friend. So you, you were all over it, bud. Yeah. I mean, there was a, there, were, I, I actually cleaned up pretty well on the Super Bowl, and, you know, just the, the depth that I cleaned up is I had, uh, I had Gronk to score the first touchdown that paid 16 to one or 18 to one, whatever it was. Um, I had the Bucks minus 10 and a half played pl- uh, plus 497 on a couple shekels on that. I had the Bucks minus seven and a half. I had the Bucks minus three and a half. And even that was two to one. Um, I didn't do any like total points or anything. I did the Bucks and under, um, obviously. And then when I hedged it just like you did, but I hedged it on player props. Um, I had I had Travis Kelsey over the 98 and a half yards or whatever it is. But I had uh, I had Mahomes over a completion of over 39 and a half yards. That obviously didn't get there. Um I did have Mahomes to throw an interception before a touchdown, but that that wasn't a huge, huge ringer like your 31 for uh, the points for the Bucks or anything like that. Um, but I mean, I uh, there wasn't too much that I missed out on on it. Um, I'm just I just you know at some point you get you get through there and you're like, man, that's a it's a pretty big long shot. I'll put it I'll put a unit on it as opposed to you know, two or three. And then you look back and you're like, damn it. Why didn't I just go for the moon on That's this right. thing? <laughs> like, Absolutely. Well, you feel that great about it, but it was still, it was still a really good day. Like I said, you, you and Butterball, you, you guys both had the bucks in the under, so you guys cleared up. So again, that that's why I'm just the host and why you guys are the experts from a, a gambling and from a football perspective. So uh, a key, a key note for lies. our listeners out there, uh, listen to those guys, not me. Just let me set them up and, uh, and, and kind of turn these boys loose. But, you know, chat from an overall standpoint though, the 2020 football season, you know, sports books out and out in Vegas, they kind of, they cleaned up, man, 122 million, making it the most lucrative football year ever for the state of Nevada from a bookmaker standpoint. I mean, that's, God. you think about all the, you know, we always make the jokes as the, hey, they don't build these, you know, palaces out here because they're losing, right? But yeah. I mean, that's pretty crazy to think that 2020 was the best year ever on football for Nevada sports books. And you sit there and think about it too. Like, you know, you bring up all the other states that Nevada didn't cater to because obviously sports betting now all of a sudden has been opened up to, you know, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, right. Illinois, you know, Florida, whatever it is. And you think that this is the best year Nevada's ever had. Cause I'm sure they were shaking in their boots for some, some instance, like they're like, Oh man, we're going to lose, you know, so much money. And, and plus, it's COVID, so we can't get as many people out to the Super Bowl for all the parties and whatnot. And you still just come out like, you know, smelling like roses. And it's like not a bad business. And like you said, it's, you know, $113 million bet or $120 million bet on the Super Bowl for Nevada. And you're walking away plus $13 million, which is right at 
That, I mean, you can't ask for more when you're a sports book. Yeah, for the for those at the sharps, you know, kind of understand the rake and the handle on those bets. I mean, if you're you're getting ten percent, you've you've done well. That's that's pretty pretty yes. darn good on you've that. You've done amazing. Yeah, you've you've killed it on on that particular weekend. So, and you mentioned those other states, Chad. Just kind of throwing in a, a few of the other biggies that have uh, uh, legalized sports gambling here recently. Uh, New Jersey, obviously, being one of the bigger ones now. Think about Atlantic City and stuff. 117 million was bet on the Super Bowl. They took in a net 11 million, so uh, not too shabby there. Uh, and then Illinois and uh, Pennsylvania, around $50 million each uh, from a gross standpoint, though with Illinois netting $7.5 million uh, for their first Super Bowl from a you know from a legal betting market standpoint, so so yeah they they they've done well they've uh, they, they figured some things out in that regard uh, as have you my friend so but now now Chad I will you know if betting was up and numbers were good from a Vegas sports book standpoint there you know one of the stories that kind of came out and you and I talked about it on the pod last week we were going to be intrigued to see what happens TV ratings. Overall, yeah. the TV ratings were down. Now, the streaming content was up by 65%. You know, roughly 6 million yeah. people watched it on streaming platforms, which is, you know, probably not a complete shot given that seems to be the world that we're headed towards now. But from a meat and potatoes, television, butts and seats, eyeballs glued to the screen, it was down pretty pretty low, Chad. You know, roughly 91 million people, I think, which made it the least watched Super Bowl since 2007, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm the I'm the big goose here on that one because I thought this would be the most watched Super yeah, Bowl. It's all of set all up time. for it. Yep, yep. It's all set up for it. Like you had two of the most. You had a dream matchup on the field. Like if you're a football fan, that is a dream matchup. Young goat, old goat. You know all that good stuff. New markets, um, and then you've got COVID, which everybody's home and. You know, it, it makes you think and wonder about what's going on, um, kind of in the world, and you know just how people. Uh, absorb information now. Now, I don't know. I just find it hard to believe that we've got more people in the world than we did in the 60s and 70s or even the 80s, and we can't get the television numbers on the Super Bowl up that high. I mean, you think about it, you know, call it whatever it was. I think you said since 2007, but, you know, some of those Super Bowls, if you look at the TV viewership in the 96, 97, they were up around the 114, 117 yeah. million. Yep. And to only get 94 million in 2021, it just goes to show you that, you know, one, people are looking at different mediums, whatever it is. Like, hey, people have different interests. Now we have 3,000 channels as opposed to three. Um, but also t in terms of how people process information, were people following it along, like maybe on GameCast or something? Um, you know, I'm just, I'm thinking out loud here. Are people, they have so much access to the game, like with, uh, you know, 24-7 news coverage. They can go watch the highlights. They don't have to watch the, the full four-hour thing or whatever it was. Um, but are, are people consuming it in a different way um, but still catching the gist of it? You know, they don't spend the five hours watching the game. They spend 30 minutes watching the highlights, and they got everything they needed to get, including the streaker. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the Cliff's Notes version, so to speak. So, yeah, yeah. Not, not not wanting to sit around for four hours, as you say. But, you know, from our perspective, Chad, and I know we're diehard, so we don't need to be yeah. convinced, but, you know, that's part of the process, right? It's like, no, hey, it it's is. a four, it's kind of an annual tradition, right? You get there a couple yeah. hours early, you have a few pops with your friends, uh, you know, you get some good food kind of coming down the pike and stuff, and then, you know, you kind of settle in, watch the halftime, talk smack about the halftime, which we'll get to that here in a moment. But that's all kind of part of the process. And then, you know, typically, depending upon how, which side you bet on, so you're either uh, uh, celebrating with your beers at 
that point, or you're uh, kind of commiserating because you're on the wrong side of it, Absolutely. like me, uh, Sunday night. And then Monday morning's always a little difficult to get up and go to work, which I'm I'm still of the mind, Chad. Why is the Monday after the Super Bowl not a national holiday, my friend? <laughs> I'm not sure. It really should be. I mean, we need to go more towards that. Uh, I'm obviously in restaurants, and it's like you can't just close down for the day, but that's okay. But uh, you're absolutely right. It's like, I and I don't know which one I would do. If I would do, like, Thursday of the opening round of March Madness, which basically you could take a half day. You go and you take a half day, you go lunch, go have a few drinks and watch all the action. And you can do that Friday, too. Um, do you take Monday as a national holiday, which nothing's really going on on the Monday afterwards. You're just trying to recover, right? Yeah, absolutely. You're not, you're not in the moment. It's not like it's Christmas. You're just trying to recover at this point. So, you know, one of those two, two days, one of those two 12 hour blocks, I would say either Thursday, Friday, uh, March Madness, or I'd say Super Bowl Monday. Yeah. I, and you know, you think about your president's day is always like two Mondays later or something, you know, middle yep. of February. It's like, let's, let's know, meet in the middle. Here. Yeah, absolutely. We just move it up. Right. So it's still in the same month. Uh, what difference does it make? I don't even know if we celebrate president's day anymore, Chad, with all some of the crap that's going on with oh regards to, to the ex-president no. and what's going on no, now, uh, which is, I wants to touch. I mean, the, <laughs> The respect level of the presidency has been thrown out the window. Not quite the same as it used to be. It's not the same. And I'm wondering, like, when I was growing up and I was a kid, I heard the the name of the president in school. You sit there and go, oh, my gosh, that's a really that's a really important person. You know, and I'm talking fourth, fifth grade or whatnot. I'm wondering what people were sitting there thinking, like fourth and fifth graders when Trump's going on, because. There's only so much that the teachers can like give up and kids today are just, they have so much more access to information and medium like we're talking about, but what the hell is going on in their mind when they're seeing that and like, What's happening? At, What's at, happening? At, at that point, we can look at it as adults and be like, oh, that's a shit show. Let's have another drink or whatnot. Yeah, I'm losing Social Security, whatever. But when you're a four or five-year-old, or excuse me, not four or five, but four, fourth or fifth grade, and you're sitting there thinking that, like, these are the great – I want to be a pilot. I want to be a fireman. I want to be the president. Like, what's going through your mind at that point? Like, do you look at Trump as a shit show, or do you look at him as, like, He's very respectable, and I want to say the Pledge of Allegiance every day. Like, I don't know. Uh, fifth grade civics class will never be the same, Chad. It's no, never going to be the it same. it won't, dude. <laughs> well, well, Chad, you, you mentioned about kind of looking ahead uh, a little bit and, and maybe, you know, what the the betters' expectations are going to be for next season. And, and my friend, it's never too early to start looking no, ahead never. to next season. They and come so, out that night. That's right. I want to get your <laughs> thoughts on, on some value here. You know, perhaps perhaps not surprising that the Chiefs are actually the, the favorite to win Super Bowl yep, 56 yep. next year at 11 to 2, Packers right behind them at 9 to 1, and then uh, Tom Brady and the Bucks uh, right there in third at 11 to 1. Again, I think we're all expecting Tom Brady to come back next year. There'd be why, why yep. not, right? The way he played this season. Uh, but, but what do you see on that list, Chad? Maybe not necessarily the favorites, although you can get some decent odds if you bet on it right now. But you know, who do yep. you see in there that that's kind of a good value pick that you maybe you look at and say, hey, you know, with the additions that these guys are going to make in the offseason and with a good draft, I mean, this this might be the team. Yeah, there, there's two of them that I see, and I'll give you one from the AFC and one from the NFC. I'm going to start with uh, NFC because this, is, this isn't this is as big a shocker to me. Um, one, I think the Packers are soft. I don't think they get there. I think Aaron Rodgers is just – he is what it is. Like, he, he takes it. I just don't think the organization gets there again. 
I think the Bucs, I think, is so hard to run through the Super Bowl and do it again. There's a reason we haven't had too many back-to-back champions. I know Tom Brady's done it before, but these guys are old. They were focused, wanting to get their uh, championship. I don't necessarily know if they do it again next year. But the team I do like, and I know everybody jumped on them when they made the Matthew Stafford trade, but I like the Rams a lot, man. I do. I think they have an awesome offense. That defense is just scary as hell. And I think Stafford coming in, I think there's going to be some new life uh, on Stafford and his shoulder and his arm. And I think there's going to be some new life in that in that room. And I think they are on the cusp of sitting there. They still have a couple of veterans on there that go, I know what it was like to be that close. And, you know, we only lost Tom Brady by 10. Well, they got to go through Tom Brady, but it will be on the NFC side. I really like the Rams at 13 to 1. Um, and these are these are are these odds to win the whole thing? These are odds to win the, the whole thing. Yep, to win the whole thing. Okay, so it's not just to get to the Super Bowl. Yep. Um, and then the one I like from the AFC, and I don't know, this is just just me. They were almost there. I think they're going to play with a chip on their shoulder. I like the Browns, man. I like the Browns a lot at twenty to one. Um, I'm just telling you, they're they're getting older each day and understanding and figuring it out and they're either going to go to the ship or they're going to have a hell of a disappointing season next year uh you know and, and then they'll be calling for baker bayfield's head again That's right but the expectations I, have been raised now you're right they <laughs> have been raised i like the browns a lot man i think they've got i i'm not saying you need a cocky quarterback but you need someone with some swagger and if you don't think tom brady's got some swagger to him and some confidence to him you're dead wrong Absolutely. Those quarterbacks need to believe in themselves and they need to will their team to win. You know, those stories coming out of Tom Brady just texting everybody every single night, like, we will win. This is what you need to do. You look at them like, the, you know, the Chiefs, they have the, the worst, uh, I think this was Tom Brady texting Leonard Fournette, and he basically sat there and told Leonard Fournette, man, if you look at the analytics, the Chiefs are dead last in the league at bringing a guy down after contact. So they've given up the most yak yards or whatever, uh, YAC, yep, yep. Yards, yards after, after contact, contact or yards mm-hmm. after catch, whatever you want to call it. But anyway, they'd given up the most yak yards, and he, he was basically telling Leonard Fournette, blow them up. Blow them up. Let's run this clock, and let's get out of here. I mean, if you notice, you know, Tom Brady didn't have a great game. He yeah. had a great football managing game, you know, managing the game, whatnot. But 200 yards, three TDs, no picks, perfect. Yep. We're going to go win the bowl, boys. Incredibly efficient. And you mentioned, I mean, his only job in the entire fourth quarter, Chad, it seemed like was turn around, hand the ball off to either Leonard right. Fournette or Ronald Jones. And, and you know, again, kudos to you. Think back to last week, you know, some of the prop bets you said, hey, hedge towards the Bucks' rushing attack whenever you get into some prop bets, and, and certainly from a player comparison standpoint. And so, again, you were spot on with that because, man, Fournette, he ran like a man possessed. And you, would, you know, we, all, we think about Brady – in the transition that he made over Tampa Bay and you know being able to do it again but Fournette he probably revived his career Chad he was on he was close to kind of being he out of down. the league right so in what he was able to do this year now I don't know if he's going to be able to come back to the Bucks and, and he he's he can make money elsewhere we'll put it that way it's yeah. well he signed for less to kind of come back to the Bucks but he probably made himself a lot of money if he wants to go out and test the free agent waters this year he did and and and, and I apologize I should know this off the top of my head but I don't think the Jaguars exercised his fifth year option, right? They traded him before that. I think that's right. And so, yeah. 
he's coming off a what I would think would be a free agency type situation because yep. I think the Bucks probably only signed him to one year. Nope, you're right. Um, I yeah, and so I I'm with you. I I liked what I saw in Fournette, and if you're a team that wants to upgrade at running back, oh man, I uh, he may not be the fastest guy in the league, but if you want to control the clock and you want to bruise some people and. I, I think he could get on with a team relatively easy. Um, you know, I, I would love to see him on um, like a team, you know, uh, kind of go to the AFC or whatnot, a team kind of like the Dolphins, um, kind of stay in that AFC. And with that defense the Dolphins have, that would be a boon for Tua to be able to just turn around and hand it to Fortnette and even help with protections on Tua because he's going to, you know, it'll be his second year. He's going to need to be brought up to speed. Um, or even like the Steelers. I mean, the Steelers, they've got a good defense. It's that offense that has been going bad. And I mean, obviously, Ro- Roethlisberger is going to have to redo his contract. But, it, man, if I'm the Steelers, I would jump on it. But I'd also jump on another quarterback, too. That's yeah. me personally. I would I would start the rebuild now. Yep, absolutely. Especially given the, the we've been talking about the QB carousel and the number of guys that are out there potentially, you know, looking to move, right? And so obviously Deshaun Watson yeah. still out there. You know, the 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 Texans new GM, you know, he he's been very adamant saying, Hey, he's not going anywhere. He's we're not we're not moving him, we're not trading him. But you know, what else is he gonna say, right? So of course he's going right. to say that. But uh, yeah, there's yeah, still a lot of number up. Yeah, a lot of big quarterbacks uh, from a domino standpoint to fall. When, you know, Chad, you know, my, my Dallas Cowboys, Dak Prescott, what's going to happen there? Yeah. You know, that's a big question. But the Cowboys down there at 30-1, to 1, I think if they can find a way to re-sign Dak and then kind of get healthy, one. you know, I, I like those odds. Again, I'm betting with my heart there. And then, obviously, yeah. you know I've got a big man crush on Josh Allen and everything that the Buffalo Bills are doing. The Buffalo Bills up there at 12-1 to 1 on the AFC side. I think there's some yeah. good value in them as well. And they're, they still seem to be a team on the ascendancy, right? So I, I think that they've got another year or two in them uh, before they kind of peek out and uh, maybe they can make the salary cap work. I would, uh, uh, along your lines of looking at the NFC East, I'm looking down here, I'm seeing Washington at 60 to one. Yep. Yep. They are a quarterback away. You're right. Let's just, they are a quarterback away. And if you get someone manageable, I mean, hell uh, shit. I mean, Ron Rivera gambling, Ron, what if he just sit there a riverboat, Ron? What if he just sat there and goes, yeah, I got three first round picks. Give me Deshaun Watson. He's in win-now mode. Yep. Like, I mean, you put Deshaun Watson on that Washington Redskins team, it's a scary, scary team. No, I, I agree 100%. And you want to talk about a team with a mean, dominant defensive line. I mean, that 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 young Ooh. defensive line, the front four that those guys have, I think like Al Michaels and those guys kept calling them maroon yeah. four, which is kind of, I don't know, they're kind of stupid or whatever, but, yeah. but they're, they're good. They, they, they deserve their own moniker, their own nickname. I don't know if it should be maroon four, but uh, those, those guys are good enough and they're young enough. You can keep them together that they're, they're going to cause havoc uh, in the NFC for, for many, many years to come. So, well, yeah. well, Chad, you know, one last gambling tidbit story I wanted to get your thoughts on here. It's kind of, it's kind of a, a funny, silly story. You know, obviously there was a streaker Sunday night, and it, yep. it was it was a full nude streaker, right? So it was a PG thirteen streaker. We'll we'll give them credit for that. Uh, but the story kind of started, you know, coming out, bubbling out Monday, Tuesday, you know, after the Super Bowl, that this guy essentially bet on himself, right? In one of the crazy yeah. prop bets that a lot of the sports books had was, would there be a streaker, right? That's kind of a you know pop culture thing that's kind of become synonymous with with big sporting events over the last uh, five four or five decades, uh, however long it's been now. This guy 
essentially says, hey, I'm going to put 50 grand on myself, and I don't remember what the odds were. You're getting 750, yeah. eight, eight, 8 to 1, essentially to make 375K. The story's circulating out there. I We don't we haven't been able to confirm whether it's true or not, Chad. It sounds like it's probably BS because you and I kind of know that most sports books aren't going to take 50K on such a silly prop bet, right? But if, well, if, he, if he bet on himself, it's still kind of a, a ballsy move, right? Yeah. It, it's absolutely a ballsy move. Like – I, you know, one from just a legal standpoint, but also two, you're absolutely right. Like I've been to sports books that, you know, they wouldn't take, you know, 50 grand on the money line of a, of a game that was pretty close. You know, you, you're talking, let's talk a a pretty close game, you know, minus call it minus seven, uh, you know, money lines probably plus 185. If you're the dog, um, in something like that, favorites, probably minus 220, something like that. And I've been to casinos that they would not take a 50 grand money line bet on the underdog because it put too much exposure on one side. So I cannot, I can't fathom a situation to where one, he walked into a casino and got eight, seven or eight to one odds with 50 grand. That just raises a red flag right there. So it would have to be done in smaller increments. And I just don't, I don't even know if they'd take a thousand dollar bet on. I mean, I'm going to be honest, like some of my online stuff for those gimmick prop bets, it's like a 200 or $250 maximum. Right. Yep. So I'm not sure what site, like, obviously, you know, there was a site or there was a casino that took it, or if he had this whole caravan of, Hey, you get a thousand dollars, you get a thousand dollars, you get a thousand dollars. And then we all go to our separate casinos and make that bet. Like how long would that take? Because his story was that it was like, Friday or something before the Super Bowl that he concocted this idea. And I'm just sitting there going like, ah, I don't know. And it's, we've all been there and we've all, we've all done it. Right. Oh man. If I was an athlete, I knew that we were favored by five and we were up by, you know, six with 30 seconds left. I'd let them score or something and then take money on the backside. But Uh, this seems really far-fetched for one. Like I have no idea what kind of controversy you're going to get into in the COVID era by jumping down onto the field as it is right now. Um, But, you know, like you said, his story was, well, I made 375,000. I paid the thousand dollar bail. And then all of a sudden he's out, he's at a strip club. And I'm like, I don't know about this. It's fishy. It seems fishy. Yeah. yeah, it, It sounds too good to be true. And usually when that happens, we all know it's too good to be true. Yeah, absolutely. I'm kind of with you. It makes for a good story, and I can see why a lot of news outlets ran with it for clickbait purposes, but I, I'm with you. I think we're both dubious as to the amount. Maybe he did bet on himself, but uh, as to 375K uh, on a on a 50K ticket, probably not. Now, if he, I will say, if he was able to coordinate that with a bunch of his slapdick buddies, I mean, that's some GameStop Reddit type of level of coordination stuff right there, Chad. So, so maybe <laughs> yeah. it was 50 grand spread, spread amongst 50 of his buddies across 50 different sports books then you know kudos to him for uh, uh using the social network to find a way to make some money there i think we may be giving a guy that ran naked on the field at the super bowl a little too much credit if, uh, if we go that far so uh, well, well chad you know changing gears here like i said we've dissected the super bowl here then obviously it's a post super bowl uh, recap uh, here on the bbsbc pod so we, we got to give it due credit but you know, football's over now, and we'll get yep. into the, the the kind of the doldrums here, the, this three- or four-week period before we get to the NCAA tournament as to as to how we get sports bettors through the next three or four weeks, especially here in Oklahoma because it's so damn cold right now. Yep. But, you know, I want to get your thoughts on NBA, Chad. So we're roughly 
roughly one-third of the way through the season now. We think about, you know, kind of a slightly condensed schedule this year due to COVID and kind of the delay on getting started back around Christmas Day. But we're roughly a third of the way through. You know, wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, where the teams are kind of stacking up. You know, we, we did a kind of a preseason pod back in the you know, late November, early December as to picks and kind of value there as to who we think may make a run at a title. But, you know, probably no shock that on most power poles, the Los Angeles Lakers are at the top. But what are you seeing out there from a gambling standpoint, from a basketball expert standpoint, that kind of jumps out to you roughly a third of the way through the, through the season, bud? So the, the hard part about this NBA season and COVID living with it, um, I'm sure a lot of people have noticed it's extremely hard to bet on basketball, <laughs> especially right now because you don't know who's in, who's out, back-to-back nights, who's playing, who's not, rest management, things of that nature. But the biggest hiccup I've seen from a trend, and for all our listeners out there, be sure to watch it and be sure what game you're playing. Um, And what I mean by this is what they've done with the schedule this year is they've done a lot of back-to-backs of the same squads playing each other. And so you'll have like a Monday they're playing uh, each other, and then Wednesday they turn around and play each other. That's due for proximity, COVID, less travel, all that. They're just trying to get games out. The problem with it is, and how it's different from other years, is you think about it, um, whenever you go and you game plan a, a game or whatnot, you, you go and play the game out. So you have your, your pregame plan of what's going to happen, everything on paper, and then you play the game. Did it work or did it not? Well, with this, this strategy they're doing of playing so many back-to-backs of the same teams, of basically double headers, you, you realize some tendencies and you have a real quick turnaround to try new things. And so let's be honest, when you watch these back-to-backs, the, they're pretty much going 50-50 if you look at some of them. Even the weaker team, they might win here. They're, they're trying out different things. So normally what would happen is you'd, you'd have a game and then you go on your road trip and you, you, find, you play other teams and you play a couple different teams. And you don't always have time to game plan again, basically. Well, let's go back to the drawing board and figure out what worked and what didn't work and then retry it immediately. Usually it's a hodgepodge of, okay, well, we played the Lakers tonight, then we're playing the Clippers the next night, and then we play Sacramento in two nights, something like that. That's a typical California road trip. And all of a sudden you've played three games and you haven't played the same team. And so when you go back to play the Lakers again after that first game, you know, call it two weeks later, the game plan's kind of changed a little bit. It's kind of molded depending on what other teams you like. Well, you know, when we when we saw we play in the Miami Heat, they did this and did that, and you know. Excuses, excuses. But now, with them playing back-to-back games or back-to-back nights, um, you know, Vegas isn't changing up the lines too much, but the games are drastically different. You know, to where Los Angeles, let's talk about it, they were playing, uh, you know, they played Oklahoma City the other night, and Oklahoma City was wiping the floor with them um, up through three quarters, and then L.A. turned it on. And I think what you're seeing is the first half line and then the final line. Usually, first half line's about half of what the final line. So, if the Lakers were favored by 10 over Oklahoma City, halftime line would be about five or whatnot. Right. But now, all of a sudden, on these back-to-backs, they're learning that, okay, well, we're going to try this when we go back out there um, to where the Lakers, let's be honest, what is there a need to game plan against Oklahoma City? Like, you're going to have your one, two, three type things, but Oklahoma City's going to look at it in more detail than what the Lakers are. Cause the Lakers are really only game planning against what four teams. I mean, they're sitting there going heat Celtics bucks and probably Clippers. 
And and that's it. I mean, that's all they really need to know because that's what it's going to come down to in the playoffs. So Oklahoma City is going to say they're younger guys. They're playing harder and whatnot. And L.A., you know, LeBron might know, you know what? My not off tonight. Or Anthony Davis, my not off tonight. You know, just I don't want to hit some bumps and bruises, especially with no fans in the NBA. Kind of doesn't care anymore because there's right, no fans right. in the stands. Um, and that would be the biggest change I would see. And I would sit there and go, Review the first game if you're betting a doubleheader or a second game of a back-to-back. Review it and see how it went. And I would say, whatever your gut reaction is off that, go opposite. And that's how I would bet these games because NBA is just so hard right now. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you mentioned those back-to-backs, Chad. You know, uh, the Thunder, obviously, in a back-to-back, you know, in the midst of it right now with the Lakers. And, you know, from a local team standpoint, Chad, you know, your thoughts on the Thunder. I mean, everybody thought, and and it is still the case, you know, rebuilding year, hey, they're going to be competing for the lottery. But, you know, they've been able to kind of float there around 500, give or take. You know, they're not going to win anything this year, and and the expectations weren't weren't that way to go into it. So we all knew that. But they're not nearly as bad as I think maybe what a lot of people thought they were going to be. and nope. so, you know, your thoughts kind of on this young team, obviously led by, you know, Shea uh, Gilgis-Alexander and, and some of the young pieces that they have here. But, you know, there's there's definitely something to build around here, right? Absolutely. And and uh, to your point, Keith, I mean, the Thunder are 14th in the West, but they're two games out of a playoff spot. So that just kind of tells you how competitive it's kind of been. And honestly, if they were in the East, uh, they – They'd be right on the cusp. They'd be a half game out um, or whatever it is. They'd be right there behind the, the Toronto Raptors. Um, but no, they're not desolate. And when I mean desolate, I'm talking about like the Washington Wizards that just look terrible. The Minnesota Timberwolves that just look terrible. The Detroit Pistons that just look terrible. Like they're not desolate like that. And they do have some chips um, or some pieces to, uh, you know, play the poker game with. And you're right. Shea Gilchrist Alexander is first and foremost. And I think that guy needs to be in the hunt for maybe an all-star nod. Now he's not going to get it being out West and being a guard, but I think he should be at least getting some love, so to speak. Um, And, you know, Lucas Dort has, you know, he's come bounce from the first year he played and to give you guys an idea of the difference in oh, kind of basketball as it goes on from college to NBA, you talk about Lucas Dort. He was the Pac-12 player of the year, basically offense player of the year his senior year, whatnot, at Arizona State. And he goes out there in the NBA, and what's he known for? He's known for defense. He's known for yep. being an all-motor defensive guy. And everybody, every time they see him play offense, he's just like this herky-jerky kind of guy it works for him but it it is what it is and now all of a sudden he's starting to score a little bit and you're like well he know you know he can score he's back 12 offensive player of the year like he was averaging like 18 20 points in college so he can play um it's just it's just a different skill set and you know lucas dort he might have been the best player on his team and might have been the best player on his best conference whatever but when you got those guys over at kentucky that are one and done and the dukes that are one and done that those guys are just on a different level. And you've probably got five guys on your bench that are ranked higher than a Lucas Dort from a NBA talent perspective. It's just different. So I love what, you know, in the middle of a rebuild, I, I cannot, I think this is where Sam Presti's at his best. Um, I uh, not, nothing against our GM or the NBA GM. I think the dude is just a master at drafts and manipulations on things. Um, putting together a veteran squad that goes out and wins the whole thing, you know, 
he hasn't been able to do that. I don't think it's bad because he comes from the San Antonio model, but he gets, he always gets more out of players than what they get anywhere else. Um, and he puts them on teams that do that and all that. And Al Horford's actually playing pretty good this year. Do I think we're going to turn around and get a first round pick for him? Probably not. Um, I would think we'd probably get a first round pick for George Hill on a trade scenario, but he's hurt right now. Um, so we'll kind of see where it goes. You know, as you allude to, we're about a third of the way through the season. Um, so we'll see how he comes back and uh, heals up. But I think we're in a, the Thunder are in a really good spot. Um, I don't think anybody expected the Houston Rockets to be below 500. And we've got their pick. I don't think anybody's uh, expected the Miami Heat to be below 500. We've got their pick and all that good stuff. So, I mean, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's just, you got to go through a couple bad years. I mean, how many bad years did Cleveland go through before they got LeBron? And then they went through a couple bad years, and then they got Kyrie, and they had some more bad years. And then LeBron came back. You know, it's just – Yeah, be, be patient uh, out there, OKC fans. There's no doubt about it. There is light ah. at the end of the tunnel, and you do have a guy in Sam Presti that's shown – you know, he's earned that right to have, have a little bit of a longer leash to kind of try some of these things out. Because as you mentioned, Chad, you know, you think about yeah. the talent that he's been able to draft. Now, not all the guys ended up – playing or, or, or being with the no. uh, the Thunder franchise for a long time, but the he's his ability to identify talent in the scouting network that they have, I mean, they've made great moves. And uh, so, yeah, with the, the stockpile of picks over the next two, three, four seasons, which you would anticipate some of those things will start being yeah. consolidated in trade packages as we move forward. Uh, but, uh, yeah, have have faith, uh, OKC fans. We're not that far away. So, yeah. but you're I, and, and more to Sam Presti, like the NBA average for, like, top five picks panning out, is literally like 20%. Oh, yeah. Whatever, yeah. that they pan out or whatnot. And Sam Presti knocked it out of the park, and has always knocked it out of the park when he gets a top five pick. And anything after the fifth pick in the NBA draft, it's a crapshoot. And it'll always true. be the crapshoot. It is not. I mean, it's just like the MLB. Like, you never know if these guys are going to make it. Um, and it's going to be even worse this year because we're probably not going to have any person-to-person uh, talks. You're probably not going to have a combine. Uh, for NBA or NFL, so it's gonna be it's gonna be a weird time. No, you're right. And speaking of draft picks and some trades, Chad, you know there was a little bit of news, you know, kind of somewhat of a big story, I guess, from an NBA perspective. But uh, Derrick Rose uh, being traded by yeah. the the lowly Pistons, as you mentioned, you know, not surprising that they're trying to make moves. Uh, he is traded back to the New York Knicks uh, to be reunited with Tibbs, I think, uh, with there at yeah. uh, for Dennis uh, Smith Jr. in a 2021 second round pick. Absolutely. So you know, we think about a talent like Derrick Rose, Chad, and just how he he really kind of set the league on fire coming out of Memphis. You know. Coming Come in, obviously had the injuries and just, you know, had had really, I think, you know, some some, you know, mental uh, uh, aspects to the game about being able to come back and having confidence in that knee after he had that, and in uh, in really kind of one of those uh, stories from an NBA standpoint as to. Not necessarily what might have been, because as you mentioned, he won an MVP, right? So I mean, he he was oh, he yeah. was a great player, but man, you just feel Youngest like MVP ever. Yeah, there was so much more there, and had the injuries, yeah. and maybe some of the uh, you know the the struggles that he had internally about being able to kind of come back from those injuries, not marred what potentially could have been a Hall of Fame career because he was electric, wasn't he? He was electric, and I don't want to downplay this by any uh, any other, but you're talking about this dude. Ever since, uh, oh, you know, they got second place um, in the national championship game. Yep, when he Kansas. was at Memphis, yep. um, I think it was Mario Chalmers hit that three. Um, 
at the uh, kind of the end of overtime or to force it to overtime and Kansas ended up winning um, in overtime. But you talk about a guy that disappeared off the map. I mean, you're talking, this was the youngest MVP of the league ever. He was spectacular. He did things with the basketball from a point guard standpoint that were downright just scary. And the Bulls, the team they had around him was pretty good with Tibbs there. And Derrick Rose bought into defense, and that's a guy with a motor that he could play some defense when he wanted to. Um, I, I almost sit there and go, you know, imagine a more caged and smooth Russell Westbrook because that's the kind of athleticism this guy had. But, you know, at the height of power, I mean, it's – I hate to say it, it's a lot like Barry Sanders. You know, these guys just – all of a sudden you get your hip taken out and or hip, knee, uh, ankle, whatever you want to call it with these guys. And they have just been – they've been Megatrons their whole life. And, you know, they've just been these undestructible machines. And then all of a sudden they get hurt and they realize – and that is a mental mountain Absolutely. you got to climb. Yep. And some people just never get right. And let's be honest, some bodies just never get right. And I feel like Derek Rose's uh, knees, they just never got right. Now, he's still a 1% athlete in the world. Don't get me wrong. But this guy was a point zero 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 top of the food chain, alpha male type shit situation. Yeah, And Absolutely. to see him be like – a productive starting point guard in the league, uh, you know, it's bittersweet. Yeah, I, I agree. And again, you, it will, unfortunately, I think that'll be the first thing that most people kind of look back on saying, oh, man, that guy was super talented. Man, feels like he could have done so much more. Or And, you know, oftentimes history kind of, you know, dusts some of the details under the rug, right, as to kind of what went into it. And you always think about, you know, the the, the leading storyline for guys. Like, I oh, got hurt and he was never the same and couldn't come back. But, you know, it, it really shouldn't gloss over or shouldn't pass over what he was able to do in that kind of relatively brief period of time before you had the injury. Because as, as you mentioned, I mean, he was, he was a generational talent. There's no doubt about it. And kind of followed in the footsteps that we think about, you know, those late 90s, early 2000s thousands of of those score first point guards which was kind of different from you and i's generation chad you know obviously the point guard was the distributor right so we yeah. we kind of grew up in that area of your isaiah thomas's and your john stockton's and those guys as to you know assist were first and then points kind of came after that you'd step up and hit a shot if the if they were actually giving it to you whereas yeah. you know that mentality kind of changed for some of those guys and i think alan iverson kind of started that and then Derek rose was a guy that kind of continued it and you mentioned you know guys like russell westbrook now that uh, have kind of continued that tradition of being a super dominant athlete at that position and really kind of changing the way that we think about that position and what it can do uh, at the uh, at the highest level there in the NBA. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens there, you know, as to, you know, what impact he has on New York. Obviously, New York in a similar situation to OKC, you know, they're trying to build back <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, God bless them, they've been doing it for much longer than OKC. Yeah. So, so uh, maybe maybe they're, uh, they're a few years ahead of us in the process, but uh, hopefully we can catch them in that regard. But, you know, one other thing, Chad, NBA-related – News making the rounds this week, whether it be on social media or out there on the uh, traditional news outlets, All-Star Game. Seems like the NBA's talking about doing this All-Star Game in early March, mid-March, you know, just a few weeks away. A lot of the players have kind of come out and said, 
this is not a good idea, right? Look at the things that you guys are making us do from a COVID protocol standpoint, and now you're going to make us, you know, go out and do this all like it doesn't feel right. I think that 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 might have been the exact phrase that LeBron James used as the, you know, it just it just doesn't feel right. And we we talked about it's been a couple months ago on the pod, Chad, um, that the 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 COVID restrictions that were being put in place. You know, guys were saying, hey, look, you're like locking us in a hotel room. If we have to get to that point from a restriction protocol standpoint, then we got to kind of raise the question as to whether or not we should be even playing the games. And I think that was the Thunders, uh, George Hill, that kind of had that exact quote. But, you know, your thoughts on the All-Star game, should it be played, should it be not? And maybe, you know, they do something like maybe what the NFL did from a Pro Bowl standpoint, like get all the guys together remotely, have them play NBA 2K or something like that. Like you can have an All-Star weekend without maybe some of the the, the issues of bringing people together in this, this COVID world that we're in. Yeah, and I'm – my opinion is I side with the players on this. I think it's the dumbest thing in the world to try and put an all-star game on, especially when you can't have fans. That's what the all-star event is for is to have those 50, hundred thousand, you know, fans there for the weekend and you have all-star weekend. It's fun and televised. Like this to me just seems like, what the hell are you doing? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Have the vote and, you know, give them an extra $50,000 for being an all-star or send them their uniform or whatnot. But let's be honest. Realistically, how many first-time all-stars are we going to have? Three, four out of, you know, whatever it is, 24-man rosters, 30-man rosters, whatever the case may be. So those are the only ones that are missing out on every other veteran out there, which is going to be voted LeBron James and Steph Curry and uh, Kevin Durant and all that. Luka Doncic, like they've been here before they know what it is. And like you said, with the so many restrictions that are on it, like let's not have a situation where the warriors forget what they're fighting for. Let them go home to their families, you know, like, yep. Yep. I agree. You know, I but agree. I, it's, I just, I, I don't know what this is for, and I don't know if it's just an overall controlling issue that they're like, we want to know where the players are. And if we have an all-star game, we know they're there and they're in protocol and whatnot. I I don't know. And and, and maybe that's it. Maybe the owners are sitting there saying, we want to make sure our marquee players are available. Okay, well, fine, whatever, but... I just think it. I think it's bad PR. I personally do. Yeah, seems seems a bit tone deaf, Chad. Especially from it a absolutely. league that that's been so sensitive and been so. Uh, uh, I guess they were the first one. responsive. Yeah, they responsive put, yeah. for COVID. Responsive for all the social injustice things that were going on during the summer. You think about what they did with the bubble. It, it, it seems like they've almost kind of you know they're not they're not throwing out that goodwill that maybe they created during some of those uh, months uh, over the summer and going into last year. But but it does seem tone deaf and seems to be kind of an about face given the approach that they took on some of these issues just a year ago, right? Yes. I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, they're the first ones to pull people off the court. Um, and it was Oklahoma City, Utah, and all That's that right. good stuff. Rudy and Gobert game, right? That's Rudy what it always would be remembered and as. Good stuff. And everybody is sitting there, like, for one at that, point, at, at that moment, just sitting there going, what the hell has the NBA started? Because if you remember that, the next day, March Madness gets canceled, and, you know, they were going to have, you know, and all this good stuff, which, okay, the NBA started that, and they were right to start that. They were right to do it. But right now, it's like they're trying to press press the gas pedal on the season, and I'm like, you just played a condensed bubble. You literally gave, you know, the players the shortest offseason they've ever had. And now you're asking them, instead of taking four to five days off, go on vacation, like go to the beach, just chill out, relax. 
you're going to take them like they're caged mice, which that's kind of what they are. Let's, let's not forget people in the whole scheme of things, even though they're getting paid $20 million a year. Could you as a human, just we're talking about the mental health that it requires to do this as a human. Could you be told to just go to a hotel room? We're going to send you your meal up at five every single day. We've got shoot around at three. Uh, and then we go on at seven and you're going to have a test twice a day. Uh, you can't leave your room. You can't be around people. Uh, you have to call in and zoom meet for everything. Uh, go perform at your physical best. And then we'll call you tomorrow type stuff. Could you do that for six, seven months at a time? Yeah. I mean, that's one of the thing I think a lot of folks lose sight of, you know, they see the performance between seven yeah. and nine 30 each night on the broadcast, but they don't really know what's going on the other 22 hours of the day. Right. So I think to, yeah. to keep that in mind is, is certainly important is that, you know, the, these are people, right. So, and, and that certainly uh, should come first uh, with regards to how we see them, how we interact with them as being athletes on television and being players. But uh, there's, there's families, there's stories, uh, there's, there's all the things that we deal with on a day-to-day basis that's going on in those other 21 hours of the day uh, that I think we need to be mindful of. So yeah, I think, I think tone deaf is probably um, the, uh, the, the right phrase with regards to the NBA uh, in their potential uh, about an all-star game here coming up in a few weeks, but we'll keep an eye on that, Chad. So now we're up against the hour mark, Chad, in post Super Bowl early February. We've always talked about it from a sports gambling standpoint, Chad, kind of often referred to as the doldrums, right? So we've got three or four weeks before the NCAA tournament kind of kicks up. Maybe you can start getting into it during the NCAA, the uh, conference basketball tournaments, maybe the week before, but you know, advice to our sports gambling, our sports betting listeners out there, Chad, how do they hunker down and how do they get through the next three weeks? Right. We got some golf, we got pitchers and catchers are going to be recording here pretty soon, right? So, so baseball's right around the corner. But how do yep. we survive here over the next three weeks with maybe not the same range of things to bet on as what we're used to, bud? Well, you're going to have to wake up at two and three o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> the Australian Open's going on down under. That's right. Um, go ahead and just pencil in Novak Djokovic as a champion on this one. Um, Honestly, like uh, that is one sports line I am interested to see is if Serena can finally get to whatever it is, 23 or 24. 24, I think. Yeah, Uh, I think it's 24, right? Yeah. 24. Yeah. yeah. And Ty, um, Ty, the old girl, what not there for majors, but anything else. I mean, the, the one thing you should be watching for on the sports ticker and what to bet on is you could do some fun things and you could do of like putting a bet on where Deshaun Watson's going to go because he's going to go. I mean, they can say for all they want that he's not going to get traded, but I have a feeling he's getting traded and he's going to get traded before the draft. I don't know why you trade him after the draft, whatnot, but you're going to trade him. Um, And then, you know, continuing on this basketball thing, you know, if you can find different situations here or there and you can confirm that everybody's playing, you can confirm it's not a back-to-back and, and things like that, I think you can – you can start making your bets fun, but I think this is a fun time of year to where football's reshifting, baseball's about to come out there. Um, you've got hockey that may or may not start, just like baseball. Like they, they seem to be going through the the motions like they did last year. And I'm like, you've already negotiated this, you know, these this collective bargaining agreement. Like, why are we negotiating it again? Right, right. Yep, of yep. some sports. But yeah, I mean, I think. I think at this point it's golf and tennis are the fun things um, to look at and to bet on. And um, 
I would tell you on golf, I would probably, I would, I would go with some longer shots here. These are the tournaments you take your shots on and you go after those 80 and 101 guys um, or first round leaders, or you do uh, the, the, the pairing match or whatever, That's right. whatever yep. you call it, which is where you're playing the pairing at that time. But I would look at those 80 to 100 to one long shots on the, some of these golf tournaments because the best players in the field aren't coming to them. Uh, this weekend, I mean, is a perfect example. You got Cantley, I think, is the, the highest rated player playing this weekend. He's number 11. Um, so you're going to have situations to where all of a sudden you got these longer odd guys that you've never heard of are going to come in there. And so I think you look at situations to where um, you can attack golf, you can attack non back to back on NBA games and you've got the, again, Australian open. Absolutely. I love it. And speaking of golf, Chad, so obviously, you know, you and our man Scooter Gersh, right? Got the YSO Dirty Birdies. So got got some uh, golf DFS, man. So yeah, <laughs> I, 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 Scott, he kind of filled me in. So I think uh, we're going to max out the game this week. So I'm excited about that. I think we're going to have to expand that in the weeks to come. But you and Scott, you do a, a fantastic job on that. Kind of a quick hitter uh, golf each and every week Very with quick. regards to a, a daily fantasy sports. So a little bit of a different, right? You want to pick guys that are going to score low, but obviously the scoring system for daily fantasy and the structure there with the salary cap a little bit different on that, but a fun nuance to the game. And again, something to kind of get you through the Thursday through Sunday. And then as you mentioned, you know, kind of maybe betting on some NBA on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but it's always fun to have a little skin in the game, Chad. That's what makes it fun, right? It's always fun. And I appreciate everything you at the sports bros network are doing. And especially Jonathan Teal on the you're still out pod. Um, that man knows more about golf than anybody I've ever met. And it's always fun, which I think we love to do it as friends is to always try and beat him and poke it. And that's what this Dirty Birdies is. Uh, basically, look, you know more of the field. I, I I feel like I actually know golf a little bit. And, uh, you know, especially after this last COVID year, I think we all kind of watched golf a little bit more because it was one of the first ones to come back. Um, but that man, golly, he, a golf historian, to say the least, and that man deserves to be up there in the pantheon of golf <laughs> journalists of some it is, sorts. It is weird. He's Rain Man-esque uh, with his ability oh. to recall tournaments, and uh, it, it's impressive. There's no doubt 1992 about it. Farmers Open, where was it played, Tory <laughs> Pines? And you're he, like, what? He knows. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not a parlor trick, ladies and, gen- no. ladies and gentlemen. He knows. He, he, really, he really does, does. know this stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, you got to give some love there to our man, Jay Till. And again, you and Scooter do a fantastic job on that front as well, bud. So, well, we're up against the hour, Mark Chad. I know you're a busy man. You've got to, you've got a lot of other things to get to this afternoon. And I appreciate you riding shotgun with me again. And for our listeners out there, remember, check out Chalk uh, a Sports Bar up at a 1324 West Memorial Road. Follow the guys on Twitter and Instagram at ChalkOKC or follow them on the web at chalkokc.com, or better yet, go up there and visit them. So, well, brother, again, appreciate you joining me on this episode, and while this will wrap it up for this one, remember that the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going and to keep up with everything we're doing over at the Sports Pros Network, check us out at fantasysportspros.com or on Twitter at sports underscore pros. And remember, that's pros with an E, P-R-O-S-E. Enjoy the games this weekend. Good luck, and take care, everyone. 